This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome inside this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, episode number 156, the show where... We discuss all things minor league baseball in the world of minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mont. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Hello, Sam. Hi, this isn't our cooking show? No, we record that one after. That's after this one. Oh, okay. All right, because I have my peanut butter brownie recipe just at the ready here. That is fantastic. It's a, a baseball and cooking show, and we call it The Hot Stove. <laughs> because we're highly unoriginal. Yeah. But yeah, yeah exactly. that's fine. But we're very good cooks, aren't it? Well, without further ado, let's get started. Three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. And uh, we're going to dive in um, with some prospects who are already starting to answer questions early on in the season. And whether that means what they're doing already at their minor league assignments or guys who have maybe seen some major league time already, um, there are already some names that are standing out, some performances that are standing out, and guys who have really impressed and kind of give us an, an idea of maybe what we can expect going forward or what we were expecting from them coming out of spring training now we're starting to see the fruits of all of that work guys who are maybe ready for the next level maybe you're ready to move up to the major leagues whatever it is Sam when you look at some of the biggest names that have gotten this season started at the minor league level prospects through these first couple of weeks um, who's really standing out to you what do you kind of feel like the themes are early on in this season among some of these prospects and who really seems like they're answering some of those early questions right now yeah, so that this was uh, the Wednesday tool shed this week. So I implore you all to go check that out. That'll have a bunch more names than we're going to discuss here. Um, but two that I want to hit on that I'm really excited by the way they, they've started the season. And like Tyler said, they've answered some questions that we all had about them over the offseason. You know, offseason is long. It's months on months on months. And we're just sitting there thinking, how is this person going to handle this assignment? Or what are they going to do when they're healthy? Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's only two weeks in. I get that. I, I totally understand it. But it's fun to see guys start to answer some of these questions in very legitimate ways and ways we can't just sl- simply, like, slag off as being small sample. Um, one of them is Juan Soto uh, in the Washington Nationals system. Uh, if you'll remember, I, I did a story on him and Carter Keyboom uh, during my time in, at Nats camp. Um, you know, he only played, a, like, about two dozen games last year at Class A Hagerstown. Uh, had a number of injuries, including a ham eight bone surgery, um, some other ones that, that really limited him. Um, but he stuck out when he was there, so I wanted to see what happens you know, when he comes back. Uh, I know the Nationals, you know, as good as he was last year at Hagerstown, he hit a 360 with a 950 OPS. Um, they wanted to see him do it for a little longer. He's answering that bell incredibly well uh, through 13 games after today's game. Uh, he's hitting 378 with a 508 on base percentage and 822 slugging percentage. Uh, that equals out to a 1.331, 1.331. Yeah, there we go. Uh, OPS. Uh, he's hit four home runs, which is closing in on a career high already. Uh, two triples, four doubles. So that's 10 extra base hits in 13 games. Uh, when I talked to him about hitting, during my time in spring camp, it, it seems like a guy who really knows the mechanics of his body, knows how everything kind of works, understands how to get the most out of hitting a baseball. Uh, you know, for being just 19 years old, when I asked him what makes you a good hitter, he knew it, exactly what it was, which was if he keeps his head in line, everything else will fall into place. He knows that from experience. He's hit pretty much everywhere. Um, so to see him come back from those injuries, to see him, you know, only play 32 games last year, including his time in the Gulf Coast League, and still perform as well as he has uh, this year back in the Sally League. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Again, he's only played 36 games total in the Sally League so far. I wouldn't be surprised if he's up with Potomac before kind of the All-Star break. That's usually the, the minor league All-Star breaks is when we start to talk about 
guys moving up if they've really dominated in the first half. And, you know, they get their recognition as all-stars. They get to go to the game. They get kind of wine and dine and all that kind of stuff. Then they get to move on. Uh, with somebody like him, it doesn't really behoove the Nationals to not let him be challenged at some point. Uh, and that just simply hasn't happened during his time with Hagerstown. So uh, if he keeps this up, and, you know, there are going to be some hiccups, hiccups along the way. Today he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. So maybe I jinxed him. I'm sorry about that. But, um, you know, if he continues to hit in the mid to high 300s with the Suns, he's not going to be there very long. Uh, the other one I want to talk about is Mike Soroka, uh, the Braves pitcher, arguably the top pitching prospect in the Braves system. I know MLB.com has him number two behind Kyle Wright, their first rounder from last year. Uh, but Soroka was challenged last year. We've talked about it so much, really aggressively as a 19-year-old at AA Mississippi. Um, kind of a new regime in the Braves front office, obviously, now. New GM, new farm director, new things in place. Um, so maybe there was a possibility that even for a guy who threw 150 innings last year at double A and posted a 2.75 ERA, maybe they would say like, listen, we really want to keep you age appropriate this time. We have a new plan for you. They could have kept, kept him back in Mississippi. They didn't to their credit. They sent him to triple A Gwinnett where once again, he's one of the youngest players there. Uh, he's only 20 now. He won't be 21 until August. Uh, and again, he's hit the ground running. He's got a 2.87 ERA in his first three starts. Uh, what really stands out to me is that He's got 20 strikeouts and only two walks in 15 and two-thirds innings. Um, so this is a guy who consistently works in the strike zone. That's one of his best attributes. His control is really special. Um, but sometimes pitchers who are really control freaks and only work in the zone, they can become predictable, uh, You know, especially against AAA hitters. If they know a strike is coming, they're going to get aggressive against you. They're going to swing early in counts. They're going to hit your fastballs because they know they're coming. Soroka has found a way to get the best of both worlds there. Um, not only pitching in the zone again, two strikeouts is just insane for his first three start or two walks, excuse me, uh, is just insane for his first three starts. But he's also finding ways to miss bats. He's getting 12.9% swings and misses on any pitch he throws. And just to kind of put that into context, that's about in the upper quarter uh, of the international league right now amongst qualified pitchers. Uh, it, that doesn't sound mighty impressive. I get that. Um, but he's around names like Anthony Banda, who's already been to AAA. Uh, and, and being in the top quarter of anything when you're one of the youngest players is really enticing. Um, I know a lot of Braves fans got to see Soroka pitch some great Fruit League games this this spring and really come away impressed by him. I know the Braves have been impressed by him for a long time. Um, you know, how is he going to handle the hype train? It's it's at, It's at speediest as it's ever been right now he's handling it incredibly well um, again he might be entering the conversation with Acuna now of how quickly can this guy get to the majors uh, again if he's not going to be challenged at AAA you need to kind of see what can happen with him at the major league level um, you know once he's up once guys like Max Fried are up and Colby Allard are up and Acuna and uh, that whole crew I think that signals to everybody that Atlanta is taking things seriously and really ready to kick things into an extra gear they kind of signaled that already today by signing jose bautista to a minor league deal yeah that was really interesting yeah, today. That, it, it was fascinating to me obviously alex anthopoulos is the gm in atlanta now he was bautista's gm in the blue with the blue jays a couple of years ago so there's a connection there but the idea that they're kind of you know giving somebody giving an all-star a chance like that might be a sign that hey we're, we're a little ahead of schedule we're ready to compete now uh, and in NL East, that's getting really interesting with the, the Phillies doing well early on, the Mets doing extre extremely well, and the Nationals not quite living up to the standards that we all hope. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on Soroka. Keep an eye on Soto. Um, these are guys who we were thinking about all, all offseason long. How are they going to handle it? And the answer seems to be incredibly well so far. Well, the guy who really stands out to me early on this season, and it's uh, a limited sample size both ways because he is one of the very few guys who plays both ways, is Brendan McKay of the Bowling Green Hot Rods and the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And Brendan McKay, um, you know, came into pro ball with so much hype. He's currently the number three prospect in that system, but hype around both sides of his game. He pitches, he plays first base. We haven't seen a whole lot of him on the mound as of yet, but the numbers even early on in the season 
season on the mound have been pretty good. Two starts so far. He's only pitched five innings, but two runs, two hits. He struck out eight. He's only walked one. Opponents are batting 125 against him, and he's got a whip of 0.60. Granted, that's all, of course, in five innings. But beyond that, the bat right now is ridiculous. Through seven games for Brendan McKay, he's batting 389, 633, 444. He's got 12 walks to three strikeouts, which blows my mind. Eight hits in total so far, uh, or seven hits in total, one double, six RBIs, but 12 walks to three strikeouts. Really impressive numbers across the board from him, and that's kind of after he struggled last year a little bit offensively, 36 games in his debut season with Hudson Valley in the New York Penn League, 232, 349, 376, but now seeing better pitching, getting better looks at things, that plate discipline 12 walks against three strikeouts. That is ridiculous. That's nobody does that in pro ball. Granted, yeah, it's only seven games, but still. Yeah, the thing I the way I put it in the story was like those are video game numbers. If you're like a very boring video game player who's just like, I'm gonna work my walks. No, no, no. All I care about is my plate discipline on this uh video game. I don't want to say any specific video games. We're not really, you know, sponsored by anything at this stage. Though we would love to be, yeah. I mean, yeah, we certainly wouldn't turn it down. There are MILB.com logos all over the minor league parks in the show. And and I was going to say, there is one video game in particular that would fit extremely well. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as though the name would be perfect in and of itself. The show before the show presented by the show shall we say i don't know just something to think about um brendan mckay the thing that will be interesting to watch is as the season goes along with him we haven't seen him go through a full 140 game slog to do it as both a pitcher and a position player that's going to be the thing to watch early on in the season really exciting it's really cool to see what he's doing through the first week plus a couple of weeks but over the course of a full 140 game season that's really what's going to be interesting to see is how he holds up in this entire run yeah, for sure. And and I'm really interested to see exactly how they're going to kind of extend him out as well on the mound. We've only get re- gotten really small bites of him. Uh, he threw two perfect innings his first time out, and then I think three innings his second time out. Um, so what happens when he's starting to try to do kind of what Otani's doing, um, you know, pitching like a regular pitcher, but also hitting like a part-time DH. The thing he's doing that the Rays are allowing him to do, they're actually allowing him to play the field. So he kind of has that one up on Otani, but he's doing it several levels lower. So, um, yeah, I think this is going to get really interesting around June and July when he's kind of hit full speed on both tracks and how he can kind of handle that. Strike two this week, Sam, talking about some of those guys who have answered some of their questions coming into 2018. Another couple of guys, one of them a friend of the show in recent weeks, and the other one a guy who may never appear on the show because he's probably not going to be a prospect for long. But Ronald Acuna and Nick Senzel highlight um, question number two, strike number two in this week's episode. Um, Should those guys still be around at the minor league level? There was so much talk going into the season. Ronald Acuna, one of the best guys in Braves camp the entire time through spring training in March, he gets sent down. Is it a service time question? What is it? Nick Senzel's kind of a different situation with the Reds. He's seeing his first extended time in AAA, playing different positions, all that type of stuff. But what's your take on where those guys should be right now and if they should still be in the minors? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, kind of in the spring, we were all saying, like, Acuna should be a major leaguer. And he should have been, you know, on opening day, based on his resume, based on his – what he had done in spring, how he strengthened that resume, he should have been a major leaguer. And and this is by no means saying – uh, the Braves should say, I told you so, by the way he started the season. I don't think anybody could have predicted this, and this could just be a mini slump for all it is. But um, with Acuna in particular, you know, the Braves have some pretty strong left fielders right now. I think Preston Tucker's off to a really strong start. Trying to explain to him he should lose playing time can be kind of a rough go right now. Um, but Acuna, you don't want to send him up just because that deadline of service time has passed. You know, just because you've earned – I don't – earned is maybe a strong word but basically gotten to the point where you would get another year of delayed you know free agency with him doesn't mean instantly you should call him up you want to call him up when he's hot when he's shown a mastery of the triple a level um you don't want to letting him you don't want to let him carry bad habits uh to the major leagues you know if he hasn't corrected things yet it's going to be a lot tougher to correct things in the majors than it is at triple a um, so as good as he was in the spring, you don't want to bring him up now while he's trying to fix stuff. Um, and, and by all accounts, he kind of needs to fix stuff. You know, he's got 
hits in, uh, I think, five of his last six games, so he's starting to get on a better track. Uh, still hitting only 182 with a 567 OPS. Did hit a home run last night. That's his first of the season, so that's a positive sign. Um, but again, yeah, as much as I would love to see Ronald Acuna be a major leaguer, the math has kind of changed on that. Uh, with Senzel, I didn't honestly expect us to have this conversation this early. Um, you know, when we had him on the podcast at the beginning of the season, I thought, yeah, he's a guy who's kind of on the cusp and doesn't need to show much, but may need to show like a month or two at AAA Louisville uh, before he pushes up to the majors, specifically because he's been moved around a lot. The infield, you know, he got some time at shortstop. He was sent to Louisville to become a full-time second baseman. Um, that timeline changed when Eugenio Suarez went on the uh, disabled list with a fractured right thumb. Um, Suarez is basically the reason why Senzel has moved around the infield. He's your locked on, you know, third baseman in Cincinnati when he's fully healthy. Um, Senzel, third base is his natural position, but you don't want to knock off a guy who's, you know, playing all-star caliber ball uh, just because you have a young gun at the same position. So, you know, they move Senzel around. Um, the Suarez injury happens. Then Senzel starts to play a little bit third base. He got three games in a row between the 10th, 11th, and 12th. Now he's played three games back at second base. So they're still moving him around the infield. Um, like Acuna, his numbers aren't great. 233 average, 631 OPS. Uh, just finally hit his first home run on the 14th. Um, has six hits in his last four games. So, again, he's, he's showing signs of warming up. But you don't want to have him uh, warming up. You want him plenty warm by the, hits, by the time he hits the majors. He's never seen, you know, regular season major league pitching before. Um, so with both of these guys, as much as we want to see them in the majors, as one, much as we want to see how their tools play, and their tools are extremely loud, Acuna having one of the best all-around skill sets we're going to see in minor league baseball, Senzel having one of the best hit tools we're going to see in minor league baseball. Uh, as much as we want to see that challenged, um, you know, they haven't shown it quite yet at AAA. Once they do that, I bet you they'll be up very quickly. Strike three this week, Sam. Friend of the site, Tyler O'Neill, the St. Louis Cardinals number four prospect, is reportedly headed to the major leagues. He uh, will make the jump, make his major league debut. That is expected on Thursday when the St. Louis Cardinals visit the Chicago Cubs. Um, Tyler O'Neill has had a fantastic start to the season. He's crushed the ball all over the Pacific Coast League. 12 games for AAA Memphis. He's batting 388, 385. 837. He has a higher batting average than on base percentage, and that is possible based on, you know, things with math. Um, but Tyler O'Neill, I mean, has been fantastic. Uh, this really seemed like it was his last stage. It'll be interesting to see how he gets time in St. Louis. We talked about this last week. Um, that's a crowded outfield picture, but I think the Cardinals just wanted to see, can he do it consistently? Can he keep it going? Only had been in the system for 37 games last year after the trade. There's not a whole lot left for Tyler O'Neill to prove in AAA. Yeah, well, first off, I just figured out the math on that OBP versus average thing. He has two sack flies and only one walk. That's what it is. Sacrifices versus walks. Yeah. So, sacrifices in plate appearances versus walks, right. basically. I, I always love when that happens, too, when the OBP is slightly lower than the average. It, it freaks me out. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited about this. I think Tyler O'Neill has certainly earned it with the way he's played so far in Memphis. You, you mentioned all of that. I, I think he's tied for the Meyer League lead in home runs with – Josh Naylor for San Antonio and Mac Williamson for Sacramento. Um, and, and that's basically what we expected. I think, was he your pick for, for Bowman winner? No, I think I touched on Tyler O'Neill, but um, Eloy Jimenez was my pick. Eloy was your pick. I'm sorry. But I think, I mean, really only one of the reasons why I didn't pick Tyler O'Neill is because I didn't know how long he was going to be in the minor leagues. There isn't a whole lot left for him to prove at the AAA level. Exactly. So there you go. Tyler is right. I thought I was going to catch him and say, like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Your Bowman winner is not going to be around long enough. But, no, he was right in the first place. Um, yeah, no, O'Neal, you know, that power is very real. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how they, they're going to make that work because he's not exactly a type that can just be or should just be brought in for pinch hit situations. Obviously, that's fine. That's going to, you know, if you want a right-handed bat off the bench, that's, that's going to work. But he's somebody who should be getting regular at-bats. Um, so maybe they believe they can get him that. I know the MLB.com story that originally reported he was coming up uh, to St. Louis added that Tommy Pham has a little bit of a groin issue. Uh, Pham kind of downplayed that, said he would be ready to play. 
Um, but maybe the fact that they're bringing up O'Neal is kind of a sign about that. They've already got a prospect on the bench, you know, who can play outfield in Harrison Bader. Um, now trying to find time for both of those guys next to Ozuna and Pham and Fowler uh, will be very interesting. But, you know, like I said before, you know, I'm, I'm all for aggressively pushing guys. Once they show mastery of a level, I want to see them challenged. I want to see them do new things. Um, you know, Tyler O'Neill hit 31 home runs last year between two AAA stops. Yeah, he has some contact issues. Uh, he can be an all-out swinger at times, and, you know, strikeout numbers sometimes come with that. But, um, you know, he had, he's shown much better contact numbers this year. Um, you know, what else do you want to see out of him uh, before getting that call? You know, let Mike Matheny play it out. Let, you know, the Cardinals are trying to compete right now. They're trying to win that division with a Brewers team that's going for it, with a Cubs team that we already know is very strong. Uh, they want all hands on deck. And O'Neill is, without a doubt, one of their 25 best players. Um, he's certainly one of their best 13 best hitters or so. Um, so, you know, they'll figure it out from there. How long he's going to be up, I'm not sure. I don't want to say he's up for good. Uh, you know, with that crowded outfield, with them already having four outfielders, five if you want to count Jose Martinez, you know, finding playing time for him could be tough. There could be a chance by the time this podcast is up, you know, two days later, he's sent back to Memphis because they just couldn't find time for him. That's the way that works sometimes. But uh, the fact that they are willing to give it a shot for now I think is very exciting, and I'm really excited to see what happens with him. Um, you know, once a lot of people get to see his very legit power and what happens when he gets put in front of StatCast and we get to see some of the ex-velocities from him. Tyler O'Neill has been one of our favorite guys um, for the last several years when he was coming up in the Mariners organization and now over the, on the Cardinals side. And, um, you know, it's weird for us because we sort of approach it as like, yeah, hope we never talk to you again because that means that you've done really well at the major league level. Um, but it's it's kind of sad, you know. I mean, when we see guys move on who've been so great to us, like obviously we're a little bit bummed to be losing them. We don't get to do the interviews with them and all that kind of stuff anymore. But obviously the, the biggest thing is that they go on and have success major league career so we certainly wish all the best to a guy who's been great to us over the last few it's, years it's almost like we're sending kids off to college yeah it's like congratulations and we want you to do well but don't forget to write and uh <laughs> we'll see you at yeah, christmas that's, time that's... um how do you think it works with tyler o'neill's biceps like flying like do you think he gets his own row i bet he gets his own row on the flight <laughs> i think he has to check them at the gate well yeah because they're basically weapons right yeah i think they have to get wanded down no matter what he's just like guys i'll be there in a little while this just this happens every time Joe's so sad i can no longer make all these you know creepy comments about tyler <laughs> o'neill's biceps we'll find somebody else tyler there are, there are a lot of big boys in the minor leagues that is true that is true um well that's going to do it for three strikes in this week's edition of the show before the show coming up we're going to head to the charleston river dogs organization the river dogs have done some really cool stuff some really cool promotions over the last couple of seasons uh benjamin hill will join us to talk about one they had this past weekend joseph p riley jr in the amazing technicolor ballpark we'll talk about that and then we'll cover some more business of baseball stuff with ben to follow that's next on this week's edition of the show before the show Our guests this week on the Minor League Baseball Podcast 156th episode are uh, not one, but two representatives from the Class A Charleston River Dogs in the South Atlantic League. Nate Carant, the Director of Promotions, and Philip Guyer, the Director of Operations, join us to talk about um, a really fun day at the park uh, back on the 14th. Joseph P. Riley and the amazing Technicolor Ballpark. Um, you guys last year did Silly String Night and, like, the the nightmare of early 90s parents everywhere just silly string all over the place this year tell us about joseph p riley and the amazing technicolor ballpark guys and welcome to the show thanks for joining us uh thanks for having us yeah thanks um so again the uh the short shorter synopsis is that we were looking to give fans um, an experiential you know um night at the ballpark rather than doing a traditional giveaway uh, which has kind of been our theme or at least our kind of uh our prompt from ownership for the past couple of years is to try to, you know, have people have a memory rather than just something tangible like a T-shirt or a bobblehead, um, both of which we do as well. But, uh, you know, we tried to focus on that. And, again, with Silly String last year, it was um, a big risk. And uh, we took a big swing and it turned into a really fun night. Um, and so we thought we would try to do something along those lines that was big and colorful. And we just decided to focus on those two words, and it was big and colorful 
that was Nate. Philip, I have to ask you, as the the director of operations, you're the guy who's kind of responsible for making sure the ballpark's ready to go day-to-day, and the the cleanup after any game is difficult. The cleanup after the Silly String game must have been a nightmare. Like, Can you walk me through how on earth you tackled that? <laughs> uh, yeah, let me, let me take you back to the beginning. So how this all happened was uh, it was like, I think, August, and Nate uh, was going to get lunch, and he said, uh, hey, Philip, you want anything for lunch? And I said, oh, don't worry, your mom's bringing me lunch. And then uh, we laughed, uh, and he went to Taco Bell. When he came back, his mom had literally brought me a sandwich. Um, it turns out I'm her favorite son. <laughs> and it just really it really got to him, man. So he's been trying to make my life uh, miserable ever since. <laughs> and the best way he can do that is to just give me promotions that take 12 to 15 hours to clean up. <laughs> And uh, the first first year was silly string, uh, and uh, that was that was tough. It was tough, but I, you know, we. Uh, what happens is my cleanup crew hates me, like literally. And I know at least at least one of them is carrying a gun on them. I'm sure. I mean, it's South Carolina, <laughs> so maybe two of them. But um, the last year, they you know, there's four thousand cans of silly string like spread across the ball, and they picked them all up. Um, and then they got done around midnight, and that's when I brought out the the pressure washer and hosed down. I thought what I would just hose everything down, but the the thing with the pressure washer is that it gets all the dirt out. So I was actually just pressure washing the stadium, which takes like a week to do. Uh, one you know one person can get done in like five days, you know. So um, this year it, it was just hoses. You know, we just got I lined up five hoses throughout the ballpark and. Uh, hose down the powder, which silly string was tough because it's string and it's everywhere, and it's actually still in a lot of places. <laughs> uh, but the powder is—I mean, it was—it was everywhere. Like it was on the roof, on the roof of the ballpark. Because <laughs> we we did it; it looked awesome. And then the guys go through and they pick up the trash, and right behind them there are five guys with backpack blowers, and so. Like the morphone was watching the entire event happen again, <laughs> but powered by small two-stroke engines. I didn't even think about that. So you're cleaning up. The guys are picking up the trash, and the blowers are to kind of get everything sort of at least in the same general yeah, vicinity. We, yeah, we, but that's blowing the powder yeah, all around the, too. Down, so. Oh man, it was like the ballpark looked like it was on fire. It was round two. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, the silly string uh, actually. I think I'm, I'm taking credit for it because it's a family tradition on your birthday in my house. Um, if it's your birthday, you get hit with Kansas Silly String. Uh, and I'm one of six kids, and so that makes like six kids plus 12 significant others plus nieces. You know, there could be 30 people in the house with Kansas Silly String on your birthday. Um, and so I was like, yeah, Silly String is great. It's, you know, 4,000 people is just, just shy of what my actual house holds. Um, so that was that was actually so. Like when they were like, "Oh, this is a dumb idea. Whose idea is this? Who cleans this up?" I was like, "Yeah, it was actually my idea. And now I have to clean it up." It's his fault. Yeah. Yeah. So you have nobody um, to blame but yourself. I really didn't. Um, this year, though, I totally blamed Nate. When the cleanup <laughs> crew was like, "Who's a dumb idea is this?" Yeah. I was like, "That's Nate's idea." Yeah, I took the back exit uh, on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Phil, Nate. I'm uh, Ben's Biz, noted minor league baseball celebrity, and I uh, haven't jumped nice in on you. this interview yet. Yeah, nice to meet you guys, too. I think I have a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, there's been thousands of Ben's Biz T-shirts uh, sold. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the cleanup of this event a little, but let's talk about really what this was, the Technicolor Ballpark. Um, it was highlighted by the seventh-inning stretch, these color packets being thrown into the air and exploding all over the place. Um, can you take, take us through... Um, you know, what that was like. One, you know, where do you p- procure this stuff? How did you distribute it? And then what was that moment like uh, when you've got thousands of people throwing uh, color packets in the air during a minor league baseball game? Uh, I'm going to try to keep us under an hour, so I'll do the talking instead of Philip. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, always a good strategy. Yeah, but um, the, the, we, honestly, it's one of those things you just Google, and it turns out that there is like a, I don't want to misspeak, but I think it's like a like a Hindu temple in Utah that sells these things. They're called like the Krishna something of something, and uh, they're one of the biggest outlets for this colored powder, which is just colored corn powder. Um, so we tested it. We, you know, I had them send us some samples. We put it in some nice white polo shirts, 
bright pink, let it in the sun for three days, rubbed it in as hard as we could, threw it in the wash, came right out. So, you know, felt good as far as liability. Um, ordered $4,500 of it or something like that, 1,100 pounds or so. And, uh, again, just we just got individual packets. We also got some big packs just to do for promo shoots and, and you know, just, just in case. Um, but we, you know, just tested it all out. We got, you know, half dozen to a dozen colors. And, um, again, we, we learned last year, you know, what we do is a lot of fun and, and more on the art side of things, but there's also a little bit of science to it where last year we had a conjecture, we tried it, we executed it, and now we have a data point. So this year we understood better how to distribute in mass in a short amount of time. And, uh, once we got everything out, cause we, we don't give it to them at the gate mainly cause of guys like us. We don't trust I people like trust us. Them. Yeah. And so we, we figured we could trust them for about 40 minutes at most, but probably not the entire game. And uh, so we got everything out. Uh, I grabbed the mic in the seventh inning stretch, said, all right, guys, you know, you've been warned this. was very clear. You've been warned multiple times. If you, uh, you know, don't want this, if you're allergic to this, if you, you know, risk asthma, get out of the way because here's what's happening. We said, as soon as you hear the music, you know, we're going to go, and it was, you know, welcome to the amazing Technicolor Ballpark. Music went up, and everybody just started doing, like, uh, LeBron James and throwing color up into the air, and it was uh, <laughs> it was a really cool, it was like, I don't know, it was like fireworks, kind of. It was just everybody was throwing, you know, big clouds of color. It was really exciting to see, so it was cool. And, and and what what was the fan reaction? Did you have, peop- did you have some people who are like, I didn't sign up for this at all, and... and uh... You know, we're kind of angry that they were now in the middle of a mess when all they were trying to do was watch a Class A South Atlantic League baseball game. Exactly. You know, people come here for the baseball exclusively. Um, so that's, that's actually not true. Yeah, that's, so. that is not true. I don't, I don't even know that we we played a, a single baseball game here yet this season. Yeah. <laughs> um, the best part of this whole thing was the 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 exodus, like the yeah. the last out of the sixth inning, and people just jumped up. The scouts ran like were literally running from their seats. Um, People who didn't want to be involved were just pouring down the stairs and hiding for cover. Um, and then everyone else was so, like, so excited. It was cool. It was it was really, it was an interesting, uh, again, kind of the idea to, to give experiential, um, you know, memories and that kind of stuff. Um, when we do these things, you know, part of it is a business side is keeping people here. If you give them a T-shirt at the beginning of the game, they can leave in the fifth inning. You know, they, you have spent your promotional money on something and they're already gone. If you do something later in the game or at the end of the game, you keep them a little bit longer and they get to be a part of it. So the idea is, in theory, is to keep them longer. However, in the case, like Philip said, that last out, people, it was, it was again, it was just the exodus is the right way to say it. People were just pouring out that didn't want to have fun. And so the people that were left were all about it and covered head to toe. But there was a lot of people who... We really, we really thinned out the crowd uh, around the seventh <laughs> inning. <laughs> and and now, obviously, the color packets were the highlight of this promotion. Uh, but what were some other uh, colorful elements of uh, what you guys did that night? Um, well, again, it was one of those things where it. This is the part where you have to make sure, but it's it's one hundred percent sincere. Without every single person on staff, we would have never gotten this done because people bought in from except for that one guy. Well, that one guy, yeah. There's always that here. one guy. Yeah, man. But I mean, sincerely, from parking to food to uh, to you know, just I mean, everybody, ticket sale, everybody was a part of it. The ticket, the um, excuse me, the parking attendants, you know. So the first thing that people see when they're pulling up to the ballpark is a parking attendant in a different shirt. It said, you know, amazing Technicolor ballpark on their shirt. It was uh, changing a color, changing ink. So when they were like, in the sun, it was super it, cool. It was hyper ink color for the for the new millennial man. It's like a. It was a hypercolor shirt of the future. It yeah. didn't need hot or cold. It just needed light. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, the future is here. So, so again, from the first <laughs> interaction with anybody that is involved with the River Dogs, they saw something new and unique and colorful for that night. And then from, again, uh, just to fast forward all the way to when guys went to the bathroom to take a leak, the urinal screens in the urinals were blue and red and green. Like, they were all different colors. There was We put details into everything to make sure that we were A to Z colorful for the night. There was full colored flags down the concourse. The music for the night was either uh, the song Red by Taylor Swift or Yellow by Coldplay or music from Green Day or Purple Haze. Or, I mean, everything was colorful music-wise. We had colorful food. Um, 
we had uh, a live artist. He's uh, his name is Cole Peace. He he's worked with a bunch of uh, people. He did a live performance in the game with fire, which was possibly not permitted, but that's off. I guess it's not off the record now. But um, yeah, no one listens. Do they? Yeah. No one's gonna hear that. No? We got yeah, a no, piano. You're yeah. fine. We got a piano donated to us from uh, Fox Music, one of our local partners, and uh, we had a local artist come out and paint a piano that was again donated to us. So that's now on our concourse as a piece of art that can is in the kids zone to kind of encourage uh, art and music. Uh, again, just there were so many elements um, through the night, and I'm sure I'm forgetting you know a dozen of them to be honest with you. But there were so many things that we did to make sure that the night was. Uh, an event more it was you know it's a baseball game sure we can't control anything on the field the event was was the promotion so and so last year it was the silly string world record attempt made a total mess this year was the technicolor ballpark made a mess um but you have an upcoming promotion and you know i'll kind of wrap it up with this you have an upcoming promotion uh called world's cleanest ballpark is that uh are you trying to atone for your uh, previous sins with that uh, we, I was going to say, Philip made me uh, sign an agreement that we, if we did one, we had to do the other. <laughs> we, uh, so the 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 cleanup crew's beer uh, budget comes out of the promo budget nowadays. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the cleanest ballpark in America night uh, is going to be oh, it's going to be so wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're going to put the the cleanup crew in like the best seats and give them you know food and just not let them do anything. Uh, I think we're getting all the sections sponsored. We're working on it, yeah. It's kind of like um, we're going to try to do something where, like, an adopt a highway. You can adopt a section and um, have people come out, and, you know, between every inning, you know, fans can pass their trash. Essentially, we're just asking you to be a civilized human yeah. being. It's really not that. We're just trying to take what everybody assumes and kind of is ingrained in and just trying to turn it just a, a little bit. Just clean up after yourself. And then, you know, if everybody does a little bit, we're going to put, a, you know, 100 garbage cans out to make sure that there's no excuse for any of it and we're gonna have ushers with brooms and we'll have bathroom attendants and you know we're gonna do everything we can to make it again a really fun night and make the visuals really interesting but again it's really not that crazy of an idea that you just take your throw, trash, throw your trash away like but again we you know with a little bit of spin and fun then hopefully it becomes something where oh my gosh look at that they're the world's cleanest ballpark so well, well there you have it's it gonna be Good I, uh, yeah. I may actually eat something off the ground that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will uh, await the uh, the Twitter video of that with uh, very eagerly. I mean, and you can uh, find Twitter videos of me eating food off the tra- off the floor any day, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you guys. Might sorry, be that, uh, they may they may pay me to shave and get a haircut that night. Yeah, we're going we're going clean ballpark. We're getting clean cut. So yeah, because I'm gonna look like uh, I, I I bet I like now I probably look like a uh, like. Wreck dressed up as like Jason Worth for Halloween, <laughs> and so <laughs> hopefully that night I'll look like a normal human being, and then uh, Dave Eccles won't fire me. Yeah, I was gonna say now Philip's gonna get a new job because he's gonna look like an adult. Yeah, it's gonna <laughs> be awesome. Well, you guys know how to uh, get dirty, and you and you know how to get clean. So um, very well rounded, and yeah. um, I, I appreciate you two uh, taking the time to uh, to tell us about the uh, Technicolor Ballpark and. Uh, you know, any, any closing words for us, uh, Nate and Phil, with the Charleston River Dogs? Uh, from my side, hopefully we get to talk about it more in Des Moines uh, coming up in a couple months. That would be the promo seminar. Every minor league baseball team lusts after uh, winning a golden bobblehead. So um, you heard it oh, here first. The other thing I need to let you all know is that I, with the help of like three other guys on staff, um, we had this ballpark completely cleaned before Sunday's game. Like, you... For Sunday's game, you came in, and there wasn't any chalk or powder anywhere in this ballpark. We got the entire thing clean. That is true, but there's also going to be a conjunction here. It, it got rained out, so no one, no one <laughs> actually saw. I worked from midnight until 3.30 uh, p.m. the next day oh. with a two-hour nap at my desk, and nobody saw it. But And you got rained out. Yeah, but you tell the people I was ready. some luck. Listen, they think I don't plan these things. I planned, man. I don't know what Philip was doing. <laughs> I had a hose in my hand. I, my, I broke my phone that day. 
<laughs> Nate Grant, the director of promotions, and Philip Gyrie, the director of operations. By the way, two days after World's Cleanest Ballpark Night, um, Dougie Doug, who oh, played yeah. Sanka in Cool Runnings, will actually be in Charleston. So it's 25 years since Cool Runnings, in addition to be 25 years since The Sandlot. So if you want to meet Dougie Doug, head on down to uh, to Charleston on May 3rd as well, because uh, all kinds of good stuff coming up in Charleston. Guys, thanks. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank us. you, guys. Continuing along in the business of minor league baseball with Benjamin Hill as again, a big thanks to uh, the Charleston River Dogs and Nate Currant and Philip Guyry for joining us on this week's edition of the show. And we're going to head uh, west from the South Atlantic League and we're going to go to the Pacific Coast League where uh, a couple of teams, one will have a new identity in a new ballpark, an existing franchise, and an entirely new franchise will join the Pacific Coast League as well next year. Las Vegas and Amarillo, Ben announcing name the team contest of course the las vegas 51s will be moving into a brand new stadium next year in vegas amarillo will be joining the pcl they're going to get the triple a affiliation from colorado springs colorado springs will be a pioneer league team with all those dominoes falling but um what's the the early inkling on these two stories right well we, we have three new ballparks opening up in 2019 um, the aforementioned Las Vegas uh, 51s will be moving into new ballpark, uh, Amarillo, and then also Fayetteville, uh, where now a team is playing in nearby Bowie's Creek. And so this week, um, the Las Vegas 51s announced, hey, we're not just going to have a new ballpark. We are going to uh, rename the team. And, um, you know, I think that's a little uh, slightly surprising. I mean, Amarillo, of course, is going to be a name the team contest because they don't have a team name. Uh, same with Fayetteville, unless they just wanted to go with the Astros. Uh, but Vegas is saying, you know what? We've done the 51s for quite some time. Uh, they were the stars before that, and they're saying now in this new era, we're going to get a new team name. So uh, they are uh, accepting suggestions right now. And so if you have any suggestions, uh, hit up the Las Vegas 51s and, and let them know. What I thought was kind of interesting about that, too, is there was a statement from team president Don Logan who said um, – Back in the day, they were the stars for 18 years. Then they became the 51s. This is their 18th years of 51s. He said, quote, we made, and this is to the Las Vegas Review Journal, we made a conscious decision 18 years ago to switch from stars, which had tremendous brand equity at that point, but to switch it up to 51s, it never connected. And I thought that was kind of interesting. What do you think that is that alludes to? Yeah, I, I found that to be an interesting quote as well. And, uh, you know, I cannot speak for him, um, but me reading that, you know, from – my office is here in New York City. I kind of thought, you know, the 51s were very uh, early with kind of taking a kind of strange name and running with it and the alien branding. You know, the name is, of course, a reference to Area 51, which is fairly near Las Vegas and the uh, alleged extraterrestrial activity that goes on there. I feel like it's always been one of the more recognized names in minor league baseball because it has been unique for such a long time. Um, but maybe I think what he was saying, and again, I can't speak for him is that uh, it doesn't scream Las Vegas. I mean, of course, it's near Las Vegas, but when you think about a city like Las Vegas, which has so many things that are distinct to Las Vegas in terms of uh, you know, the type of city it is, uh, going back to its founding, um, I think they're looking for something that just says Vegas right away. That is my interpretation. They are working with Brandios, uh, in case you are all wondering whether they would be a Brandios client. As of right now, according to the Review Journal, that is the case with Vegas. So Vegas, Amarillo, and of course Fayetteville, who will join the Carolina League coming up next year. Three new ballparks, three new identities. So we know we'll have at least maybe some more news going into the offseason in 2018-19 versus what we have in rebrands and uh, refreshments in 2017-2018. Um, Ben's got a story coming up on the site about Buffalo announcer Pat Malarcaro, whose name I probably just butchered, but Pat used to be the bat boy in Buffalo. Give us his story, a little bit of it. Right, well, um, the Bison's play-by-play -play voice, primary play-by-play -play voice for uh, quite some time, Ben Wagner, uh, at the very end of spring training, he got the uh, you know proverbial call-up to the parent uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and now he's doing radio for the Toronto Blue Jays. That, of course, um, you know, left an opening in Buffalo for the lead guy. And uh, Pat Malacaro 
got the job. And, you know, he'd been on the broadcast team in some capacity since 2010. So kind of a natural choice. But what led me to write about him is that not only is, is he the Buffalo Bison's lead broadcaster, he is a Buffalo native who started with the team as a bat boy in the late 90s. And, um, you know, Tyler, as you know, as well as anyone, um, you know, a career in broadcasting is often uh, predicated upon the uh, the need to, you know, go where the jobs are and to be, you know, peripatetic, to use one of my favorite words, uh, really bounce around the country in search of jobs. Um, so I just found his path to be very unique in the world of broadcasters to be working for the team he loved as a kid and having been working for that team in some capacity dating back to being a kid in the late 90s. So kind of a unique story for him and check that out on MI. MLB.com, the official website of minor league baseball. And another thing that you can check out on the site as well, April 1st, 1993 was the release date for the Sandlot. And not only this month, but really it feels like throughout the entirety of the season, somebody's going to be doing a, a salute to the Sandlot promo. So promo preview will cover that this week. Uh, of course, last week, the cast of the Sandlot reunited and there's been all of the, uh, the stories about that. But um, what's your angle on this going to be, Ben? Well, uh, you know, in promo preview, I just um, that's exactly it. I, there's a you know close to 20 Sandlot promos in minor league baseball that I'm aware of this season. So I just wanted to make the uh, authoritative list of everything that's going on. You know, different teams are doing different things. Um, but you know, Squints Chauncey Leopardi, who played uh, Squints in the film, is is due to appear at at least six or seven ballparks. Uh, Patrick Renna, who played Ham, will be at certain ballparks. There are great Hambino bobblehead giveaways. There are post-game screenings of the movie. Uh, it's a Sandlot celebration, and I've yet to see the Sandlot, despite how often I've been writing about it in recent months. And that might change, and it might not. But I, I sort of enjoy just how special I feel saying I work in baseball, but I've never seen the Sandlot. Just the original hipster of not seeing the baseball movie, Benjamin Hill, who joins us on the show to discuss all things minor league baseball business. And uh, again, a big thanks to Charleston River Dogs for lending us um, some info on their really cool promo. Joseph P. Riley Jr. in the amazing Technicolor ballpark. Um, they will not have squints, but they will have Sanka, as we just heard. So covering all the bases from the early 90s sports movies. That's right. 1993 was 25 years ago. Uh, hard as it is to believe. Crazy. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. Final segment of the show before the show for this week. Our biggest thanks to the Charleston River Dogs for uh, giving us some inside information on their cool promo schedule. And thanks to Benjamin Hill as well. Um, MILB.TV is your place to catch all the best and brightest in minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching this week on MILB.TV? Yeah, so we got some fun news just before we started recording the podcast this week. Uh, Eloy Jimenez. We'll be back tomorrow. I feel like I should do that in like an Oprah voice of like, Eloy's back. You get Eloy and you get Eloy. Um, you by get the way, Eloy. just we to jump Eloy. in real quick, this is a very random piece of information. But um, when we were in spring training, Josh Jackson obviously grabbed uh, Mr. Jimenez for uh, the show before the show. And Josh asked him how he pronounces his first name. And he says basically Eloy. Um, so that's true. And thank you for catching me on that. Eloy. We'll go with Eloy. Like, we, yeah, that's what he says. If people started saying my name same, and I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, actually, one of the lessons that I remember very clearly from journalism college was somebody coming in one time and saying, uh, the way you pronounce people's names on air is the way they pronounce their names. Ask them how they say it. That's how you should say it, which seems pretty obvious. Yes. That's kind of one of those things you're like, oh, yeah, that does make some sense. That does make sense. You don't argue with people about their names. Actually, just to do a quick story off to the side um, while we're speaking about this. The wedding I was at over the weekend in Tampa, which was lovely and beautiful, and congratulations to Nick and Anna, and also congratulations to my other cousins, Kate and Andrew, uh, who got married up here in Connecticut. Um, but it was really funny because my friend Nick pronounces his last name Bove, B-O-V-E. His brother, Vinny, pronounces their last name Bove. So back-to-back, -back, they, they introduced the best man, Vinny Bove, and the groom, Nick Bove. So... I don't know how they worked that out. I imagine there were a lot of arguments over the dinner table years ago, but yeah, there you go. Well, I'm going to take that and segue it into a similar thing um, baseball-wise. A lot of people know um, former Detroit Tigers catcher uh, since traded away by his own father um, and now with the Arizona Diamondbacks. But Alex Avila, his dad, the GM of the Detroit Tigers, pronounces their last name Avila. 
Alex Avila, Al Avila. Um, there is coincidentally uh, another Tigers um, family member that uh, I had this happen on a personal level. So Nick Castellanos, when he was coming up in that system, when he was with Double A Erie, I was doing radio in Double A Altoona, and we used to do this thing called Flipside Friday for our radio broadcast, where we would interview a player from the opposing team. And I went down and grabbed Nick prior to a game once and said, "How do you say your last name? Is it Castellanos?" And before I could say or Castellanos, he said, "Yeah, it's fine." Um, I just kind of assumed, all right, well, that must be, uh, that's the way it is. Although it is kind of strange, I guess, to hear somebody say, yeah, that's fine about how you pronounce my last name. But anyway, when he made it to the major leagues, everybody's calling him Cassiano, so I felt so bad because I was like, man, I called this dude by the (laughs) wrong pronunciation of his last name. And I tweeted it out one time when there was a discussion about mispronouncing names or something uh, on Twitter. And there was a writer for a Tigers blog who actually responded to me and said, no, the funny thing about Nick is he really does not care. Nick doesn't care how anybody says his last name, but his dad is like super gung ho about like you have to pronounce it Casianos. But for whatever reason, Nick doesn't care, and that made me feel much better. Like five years after the fact. I mean, what's in a name really? And that's that's a story for another podcast. That's a story for our name podcast. We have a cooking podcast and we have a name podcast. This is the content people crave, Sam: cooking podcast and name podcast. Uh, we're not going to tell you where to find them, but they're out there. You'll you'll be fine. Okay, so um, anyway, MILB TV picked. Um, wait, did you even say yours? I didn't even say mine, no. Um, Eloy Jimenez is back, um, and he's he's going to be with AA Birmingham to start the year. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out on Thursday, Birmingham will be in Jackson. That game will be on MILB.TV. Uh, they'll also be playing a, a weekend set um, against Pensacola starting on Saturday. Those will also be on Mill TV. Plenty of chances to watch Eloy Jimenez in, in his return to the White Sox organization. Everything we said about Tyler O'Neill in terms of his power, Jimenez is right there, if not even bigger. Um, I think he's at least very, he's at least taller than O'Neill is, uh, and the power is very real. If they're sending him to Birmingham right away, not getting him rehab appearances at Kannapolis or Winston-Salem, uh, that's a sign that they believe he's ready to go. Um, so I'm really excited to see what happens when he returns to the double-A level. That's my pick. Tyler, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy who uh, came up earlier in the show, Mac Williamson um, of the San Francisco Giants organization, who is tied with Tyler O'Neill and Josh Naylor uh, with the minor league home run lead, along with uh, those two guys. Tyler O'Neill now headed up to the big leagues, Josh Naylor and double A in the San Diego Padres organization. Mac Williamson apparently tore down his swing and rebuilt it completely over the offseason, and so far has just been crushing the ball um, to start 2018. He is back with the AAA Sacramento. Rivercats. They will be on the road taking on the Salt Lake Bees coming up this weekend, so you can catch that game from the Pacific Coast League. I don't think we're supposed to get any crazy weather uh, coming up this uh, this weekend, as it has been all across the landscape of minor league baseball, major league baseball in uh, the last couple of weeks, but um, you can catch that game at MILB.TV as well. Um, so that will do it for this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Get in touch with us. Sam Dykstra is on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I'm on Twitter at Tyler Mon, and you can email the show podcast at MILB.com. Questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, anything you got, let us know, and uh, we'd be happy to, to address it on air or uh, hit you back with an email, whatever you need. We're here to please. And uh, until next week, he's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you then. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.